you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Mark Carrier. Mark is the Associate Athletic Director at the Loyola Academy of Chicago, his self-described dream job. Welcome, Mark. Hello. So let's start off you know, with, with where you are today, and then we'll take that journey into the rearview mirror. Why do you do what you do today? Why is this your dream job? I, I guess it starts from my own upbringing of uh, being around where a situation where I came from a single parent home, I had two older sisters and a mom and uh, who worked all the time and, and, you know, and I was raised by my two older sisters, but I needed surrogates. I had some great surrogates over the years who helped me, you know, formulate into a man along with my mom and sisters. And so it was, there was always someone helping me along the way to keep me on a straight and narrow. So that, and that's always been a big part of my life as well as, you know, helping people. And so when I had the chance to, uh, trying to figure out what I want to do once football, that, that, which was a big part of my world, as we'll get into, obviously, when you get into more questions, to really step away from it. And working with Jeff, as, as you know, finding out what do I have, um, what do I like, what do I want to do, this kind of athletic administration kind of miraculously popped up and and we started looking at different things in, in, in athletics and sports because that's obviously the majority of my background or all my background, this, this, this kind of came about and, and it just made it ideal one, because this is why, you know, I started my professional career. This is where I met my wife, which led to other good things. And, and so to get back to, to be in a position where I have two older kids, you know, two kids who are both now officially graduated from college. Well, you, you, it's amazing how you, you know, they consume your life and their sports when you go and be part of theirs. And that part was, go, you know, was, is gone now. And there's a big void. Now I'm at a school where there's 1400 <laughs> student athletes. So that's kind of the new, my new kids that I get to be part of their sports, oh, which, is, which en- encompasses all type, you know, I, you know, I joke with some friends, uh, a while back because they, you know, they called actual, you know, wanted me to do something with them the other day uh, at the time. And I said, I couldn't, I have to be go to the sporting event and say, what was it? Well, it was a cheer competition. And they're oh like, my okay, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, seriously, Mark, where are you, why, why can't you come? I said, no, I'm, I'm going to this cheer competition uh, to be, you know, to, to, to represent our school and, 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 and be there for the young ladies. And so, which was great. And the girls were, were ecstatic about it. And then, you know, I've been to more field hockey girls, field hockey game this year than I've ever been my whole life. And it was fun, you know, so just different things like that. Yeah, sure. So you went from having two kids to mentor and coach to 1400. Yeah. um, Where you get the opportunity to really share the collective wisdom. So let's back up. You grew up in Southern California and you went to University of Southern California. Fight on, yes. Fight on. Mighty Trojans. Yes, and yes. You were That's a, a whole other story. Yeah. Don't, well, my wife will get mad there. <laughs> okay, so, okay, okay. You <laughs> were a four-year starter on the USC football team, correct? Uh, three-year. I redshirted. Okay. Three-year starter. And you went on a football scholarship. Now, you were, like a lot of young athletes, use the athletic scholarship as a stepping stone to get to more athletics. Correct. 
But you were a client of ours, and your coach, Jeff, told me that you used your athletic scholarship as a stepping stone to an education. Yes. Because you knew that that was going to be what was going to propel you into the future you wanted. Correct. Is Jeff correct? Is that true? Or did Jeff make that up? No, no. It's uh, (laughs) it's funny. Um, I got into football because my mom made me go play football. It wasn't because I had any ambition. I had two older sisters and I was always hanging around them and she just didn't think that was normal. So, uh, so she, she signed me up for this football team that I didn't want to come play for. And a coach had to come and get me cause I was like, <laughs> no, I don't want to go. Uh, but it, that kind of started it. And, uh, and you know, my mom, let's again, single parent uh, with the high school education. Uh, she, my older sister was going to Berkeley. My other sister was going to a trade school and she was just saying, Mark, if you, you know, if you want to go to college, you might have to go, you know, the JC route first because this is, you know, financially, this is, I'm at my, my max, my limit. And, uh, so, and I understood that. So I was fortunate enough to, to, to play for a very good high school in Long Beach Poly and, and did well enough where I got a, uh, a football scholarship to go play football at USC. But the big part about that was that scholarship allowed me to further my education and, do other things because I didn't go to USC to be a, uh, you know, I know people laugh or friends will make fun of me. I didn't go to USC to be a football star to play pro ball. I went to want to get an education too. I want to be a fireman. I really, I wanted to. Wow. My my goal in life was to be a was to be a fireman, and and s and going to and getting my college paid for again. The scholarship helped my mom out more so than anything, but also en- enabled me to get a a quality education to further my life beyond you know, beyond football to something I can do for a career, have a career. Yeah. So not obviously having been a college football player myself, um, in those four years, the three years that you played football, three-year starter, but four-year football player, did you ever, were there ever moments where you lost sight of that bigger goal of getting an education? Oh, yeah. No, no question. Uh, my um, my freshman year, my first, my pure freshman year when I went to USC, I like all kids, we all had admiration of being a helping contributor, playing because you've been a starter. You know, I was this, this big time high school football player. Now I'm going in high school, and now I'm going to USC, and you want to contribute. And I got hurt. I ended up fracturing my foot uh, in training camp, and so I couldn't play. So they said, "Well, Mark, we're going to have to you're going to have to redshirt. We're going to have to sit you down. You have to be in a boot for a while." and and let your foot heal. And, and that was like any, that was an, that was a tough adjustment because I didn't, didn't, you know, you think you can, you can conquer the world that you can never get hurt. And now they're telling me, well, you can't play football. And that was so devastating. And, uh, and then getting, trying to get acclimated to college life, to going to classes and doing all. So I, my, my first semester was, was a struggle. I, uh, I, I struggled my in, in school. It was tough. I don't think I went through any form of depression or anything, but it, it took it, it took a while to to accept that that I wasn't going to play football. I wasn't going to be in the spotlight anymore. I was just going to be a college student, and I was hurt. And so it, it took some time to you know to 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 heal and go through that. And thank God for my two sisters and my mom who are positive influence on me and but you made it back onto the field i made it back yeah you know the good thing is you know spring uh, when spring ball came around i was fully healthy ready to go and earned a starting spot so tell me about the moment when you said okay you know i still um still have that firefighter thing but now all of a sudden i'm pretty good at this football team football <laughs> thing and 
there's some teams that are looking at me and uh, you know was was that was that a what was that like to say okay well here's why I started college here's what I wanted to do yeah. now maybe I'm better than I thought I was or that I even wanted to be and now these pro teams are knocking on the door tell me about that yeah it was probably after my second year playing so it might have been my third year in college by my second year uh, we had success we won the Pac-10 in the last two years. And then after my my third year or second year of playing, I had uh, established some honors. You know, I was first team all Pac-10 and uh, all American, you know, th- just certain things start coming about and which was, which was self-gratifying, but it wasn't the big all of all for me. It was all about our team, team accomplishment. But then going into that, uh, the third, that third year, my fourth year at school, third year uh, playing uh, in the preseason, summer, like around now, starting things start coming up and with magazines and scouts and stuff, or and people were talking. Mark, you know, you you're there's a possibility you you're going to be a, a top draft pick. I'm like, really? Okay, <laughs> all right, whatever that means. Uh, I'm like, okay, you know, it it, it never really phased me. Because it just, you know, I, you know what, I'll worry about it when it happens. Right, right now, I'm, right. I'm, into, I'm into other things. I want to get things accomplished uh, school-wise. I, I want, you know, it was important for me to, to graduate from college because for my mom, that was a big deal. And I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to be a, another black kid just doing it for sports. I wanted to, I wanted to graduate. I wanted to have an education. And, and uh, so after, again, going back after my second year plan, which would have been my richer sophomore year, uh, I made a lot of All-American teams, and going into that, that following the next season, we were pretty. We had a pretty good team coming that year, and and people were coming up to me, "Hey, you're a ch- you got a chance to be good. You got a chance to be a high draft. You got yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever." Well, then after that following year, uh, January, after we we went and finally went to Rose Bowl, and there's talk about, "Hey, are you going to go pro?" Because I had another year of eligibility. I could have came back. And after sitting out and talking with some family and friends and advisors, they're like, Mark, you've accomplished everything you accomplished at SC. You go, you got a chance to get drafted very high. You need to go pro. Well, I, and I said, no, I have not accomplished everything. I'm still a year away from graduating from college. That's important. And, but, but, but then people and, and people at SC and the coaches are like, no, no. I mean, you have a chance to get drafted high. You can't pass this opportunity up. You've got to go. You don't need. There's nothing more you can do here from a football standpoint. I know you want. You can get your education, and uh, and my mom wasn't really all about that. So I had to convince her that uh, this was a great opportunity. But I also had to promise her that when the season was over, after getting after she allowed me to go into the draft, after the season was over, I would guarantee her to come back and go and finish up school, which I did. Oh, fantastic! So you you were drafted. Hi. What was your what was your draft position? I was drafted by the Chicago Bears. I was number the sixth pick overall in a nineteen ninety draft. Wow. What was that like? That was amazing. <laughs> I, I I didn't know where I was going to go. We had some thoughts. I had talked to some teams, and the Bears said, "Hey, we might pick you. We'll see." There's other people we're looking at. I'm like, great. I knew I was going to get drafted. I I thought I was going to go in the second round, maybe. Uh, at the latest, possibly the first. You know, you always got to go draft like anything in business. Everybody's looking at positions. What's the projection? What position of need? So I knew I was going to go. I didn't know I was going to go that high. It was some thoughts. It was some people I mentioned. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I get drafted. And, you know, here I am just turning 21, 22. And 
I get drafted the next day I'm on a plane to Chicago. Now, now, Mark, tell me that the Chicago Bears coach didn't have to come to your house and pick you up and force you to go like like when you were a child. No, no, no. That, no <laughs> at that point, no. I, I was all in at that point. Like, I okay, was, I guess this football thing's all right. Well, because then the reality of like, hey, here's the money you're going to be yeah, making. Right, like, right. Okay, yeah, right, right. Let's, let's, let's be honest. The money was a big part of that. Like, okay, I can go now. I can go from 21 <laughs> of being on Pell Grant scholarship to all of a sudden make, you know, uh, making really, really good money. So you started with the Bears, and you were with them for how long? Seven years. Seven years. And then where did you go from there? Then I went to the play three years with the Detroit Lions, and then I finished with the, about a year and a half with the Redskins. Wow. And and as you look back over that that period of time, what was your biggest surprise and your biggest regret about your pro football career? That's a good question. Right? You know, because no one really asked about the regret. The biggest surprise. Uh, was how how you got treated you know you knew i mean i've been treated i was always treated well but man how especially chicago which is a very sports oriented town it's just how things became so simple that it's and i look back now it was almost unreal that doors opened up just naturally because who i was and played for the bears that can go to your head can it oh it, it trust me it did. It, it 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 did later in my career it did go to my head and uh and it can be contagious. It can be fun. It can be addictive. Uh, it, it's you know greatest feeling in the world. So uh, that that was and I and don't get me wrong. I I manipulated to to certain extent to 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 my advantage, uh, taking you know using it for for my own self gratification. And uh, so that was that was a real you know that was being a pro. What did that like to be a true professional, a professional athlete? So as you look back on those years. We talk about, you know, what was good about it. Let me get back to the second part of my question. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of, of regret, in letting it go to your head, did you, as a result, lose part of who you were? No question. When I left Chicago, I got left because I got released by the Bears. They wanted me to take a pay cut. I said, no. I said, well, we're probably going to release you. I'm like, fine. But at that point in time, I had been married for about a, a year and a half, two years. Just had a, my son, Mac. And, and, and my life, I was, it wasn't spinning out of control, but I had to look myself in a mirror. And my wife at the time, and my wife still to married today, 25 years later, uh, I, I wasn't being a good husband or a good father. I was trying to be a great player and a great pro and live that life. And then all of a sudden, well, I'm thinking I'm one of Chicago's favorite son. Next thing you know, I'm cut and, 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 and not happy. And yet I wasn't still being a, I wasn't being a good father, good, a good husband, because I was upset about being cut, but yet I was still trying to enjoy that life when reality mm-hmm. was setting like, Hey, you know, you just got cut. You don't have a job anymore. You know, you gotta, let's get back to where, you know, you're, you know, you're still married and you still have, and we have a new son. What, what's, what, what are we doing? What's our future? You know, I didn't, I didn't focus in on that. Like I should have at the time. And, you know, my, like my big regret, I wish I would have maybe stayed in Chicago, maybe took the pick and stayed because, and maybe I thought it would open more doors because of how great the town has been to me and kept me. But also the best thing that happened was me to go through that, go through that experience because it, it, it narrowed me back into focus on, on the reality of, of, Hey, this is serious. This is a business. This is how it works. It's no guarantees. You're a husband, you're a father, you know, you, you have family obligations. 
that spotlight and limelight is good, it's great, but it's not the reality. It's not the real world. This is the real world. Let's get serious about it. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about back when you were at USC and you fractured your foot. And that was a that was a tumble, you know, to say yeah. um, you were a big man on campus and um, all of a sudden you're just a dude in crutches ca- trying to carry his books from class to class. And it's those moments, I think, that we realize in all the people I've talked to on this podcast and beyond, it's those types of moments that really make us who we are and remind us of um, what's important and um, yeah. what we really need to be focusing on. And it's really too bad that professional sports, at least in this country, our big three sports, make it very, very hard to be a full person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, t- times have gotten better. I mean, they were terrible before I got in the league. They started value, you know, started trying to do better. They signed a new CBA agreement in '93 to kind of start implementing more programs to kind of help athletes, especially former athletes. But it was still, uh, you know, your off season was about staying in shape and training for the next season. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with now, where you see more players are doing things to try to do other things beyond, you know, called, you know, you know, pushing their brand or improving themselves outside of football. They, they, they've done a greater job of people have done a greater job of uh, NFL has done a better job of trying to promote that. And, and players have gotten a better idea, better cue about doing things in the off season where before it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think my wife, Andrea, you know, for sticking with me and helping me work through that. So then you, the Lions picked you up and uh, had you gone through that lesson of, oops, you know, I guess I am expendable. I need to work on being um, a more well-rounded person. So did a different Mark Carrier show up uh, with the Lions or were you still in the process of learning that? Okay. No, no. When I, (laughs) when I got to, like I said, it was, you know, it was a a wake up call. I was, you know, more family or, you know, more. When I when we try to make decisions, I was more keyed in you know, with my, with my wife and family. Uh, you know, when I we I had our second child uh, with the Lions, everything was geared family was more family or and more. You know, I wasn't shocked by anything anymore. I wasn't going to be surprised how some decisions being made because biggest understanding too and if i go back and think about it from your other question you asked about the big surprise about the nfl how business is oriented mm-hmm. i mean you, the only time is really a game is on sunday or sunday night or monday when you're playing it on the field and then you practice a few you know those few hours you practice during a week but in the totality of it it's a business and those and those people behind closed doors and the gms and the president and the owners just decisions will be made for the better of the team from also from a business standpoint, the money still is still is a big driving force. But really, you know, you know, because you went through our coaching process. In reality, every business is going to make the decision that's best for the business. Sports yes. is just higher profile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more money. It's you know, but every company from a five person organization to a you know half a million person organization um, makes the decision that's the best for the business. And so as we preach constantly, you are in charge of the business of you. And mm-hmm. you have to make the best decisions for you and your family and your life and not lose track of the fact that the other side of the table is doing exactly the same thing. And that's a very hard thing for people to wrap their minds around. It is. And it's a very important part. You know, when I, you know, I was fortunate enough to coach in the NFL for 10 years. 
And I tell players, uh, I was a big part of me, my coaching with telling players, hey, make sure you're doing what you need to do to help yourself be as successful as you can on the field. Because I promise you, I don't care how good you are or good you think you are, the organization is going to make the business decision. They're going to make a decision that's based on what they feel is their bottom line and best for them. Yeah. And if you're surprised by that, you haven't been paying attention. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and be expecting that. So focus in on, you know, doing your job. But understanding, there's always there's always going to be decisions made. Uh, whether you think you're, you know, like I said, I thought I was Chicago's favorite son for a few <laughs> years here, and I was treated very well. But when it came down to money, they, you know, hey, Mark, you're making for your position, your safety. We don't classify that as a pro- top priority position for that price tag. So we need to make some changes there, and that's just the reality of it. it had nothing to do with they disliked me or mm-hmm. thought my game was was tailing off or anything. No, it had nothing to do with that. That position we value at this, you're making that. That won't work for us. So you go to the Lions, you go to the Redskins, and what was the moment when you said, okay, I'm done. I'm done on the field. Was that? Did you make that decision, or was that decision made for you? Both. Uh, the Redskins came, same thing. I was you know, making good money and the Redskins were, they just went through another coaching change. So they're starting to clean house a little bit. And uh, the coaches wanted to get their guys in. And so I was there with the new staff after the first year and was going through it. And, uh, and again, they came back to me and said, Hey, Mark, we, we, we'd like you to take a pay cut because we think the money you're making, it's, we don't think that's worthy of what that position does. So I'm like, okay, fine. And they, they released me. And then I, I was thinking about, I had a chance to actually go back to the Lions. I was actually there and uh, visiting them and had a chance to uh, sign back with them. But then I was looking at it and my body was telling me, you know, my head was telling me <laughs> one thing, my body was telling me another. I'm flying back and it was 9-11, 2001. Oh, wow. And I got, I was on an airplane that morning and I got grounded in Kansas City and ended up driving from Kansas City back to Arizona at the time we were living in Arizona uh, and had a lot to think about. And, and I just said, you know, after that drive home, I had a lot of good downtime to think about life in general. I just like, you know what, I think the NFL is done with me and it's time for me to be done with them in hmm. that perspective as a player. Right, right. And so how did you transition into coaching then? Well, I was, uh, again, this, you see, this is where my wife needs to be part of the conversation because <laughs> her perspective of it would be, you know, she came home, I think, for one day. I don't know if she came home from work or working out or something. And I'm sitting and I'm sitting on the couch. This is like a half a year later uh, of me finally being done playing football, watching soap operas on the couch. Oh, no. Oh, that's so pitiful. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. That's, that's her thoughts, her sentiment, exactly. And she just thought, you know, what What are you doing? And, and again, I'm like 30 you know, five-ish. You yeah, know, yeah. You're a pop. Guy. You're a young pop. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, you know, I'm 52 now. So, I mean, I, 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 you've got a lot of life to live here. And she just didn't think it was right. And she was right. And so I, it helped me get back. And I, uh, I started uh, doing radio for USC football. And then uh, I was actually coaching my son's flag football team. That kind of got me started coaching then. A good friend of mine who's uh, who's a graduate at a USC was coaching at a high school in Arizona. Say, hey, we got a couple of inner city kids, kind of like a Loyola, a, a Jesuit school, a boys school. Hey, we got a couple of inner city kids got a chance to get drafted. I mean, go to college, uh, but they need some influence. Do you mind come working and coaching with them, which I did. 
that got me into uh, uh, Arizona State. That's why I started there, coaching there for two years. Then that got me into with a connection with a buddy who got brought me into Baltimore Ravens. And then from the Ravens, I went to Jets and Jets to the Bengals. Wow. All in coaching. Did you ever have aspiration to be a head coach? You know, I didn't. I, I, you know what? I didn't. I was one of those guys who kept kept it single-minded in a sense where whatever I was doing, I wanted to be the best that I was doing at that time. So I focused in on that. And I look back at some things now, maybe I should have had more aspirations of, of being a coordinator or a coach. I, but I just wanted to do the best job I could be for the organization I was working with at that time. And I didn't want to cloud that with any other things. Not that that's wrong or right. That was just made, that's what made me work. That's what made me better. Yes. And you have to operate from there. As you yeah. know, you know, it, it's anytime anybody uses the word should, it makes me cringe because I think, you know, we, I think our shoulds come from um, what other people tell us mm-hmm. and what other people in our similar roles have done. Yeah. And um, we start comparing ourselves to what, to what they've done and then deciding that maybe we're headed in the wrong direction. But if you pay attention to sort of your inner guide and what feels right to you, it, it'll never, it just, it just never leads you astray. It doesn't mean that the road's going to be straight and, you know, without potholes, but in general, you know, the, the mentoring, I mean, think about what a head coach does. I mean, I look at those guys and I think I would hate to be that vilified in the media by the fans, um, you know, by you know, in every way, it's a very tough job. And if you had done that, it would have taken you away from what you loved, which was the mentoring and the you know the really the one on one connections. I do, yeah, I really love uh, teaching, working with the with the players and the kids, and helping them thrive. It's easy to work with the great athletes. I, know I coached Ed Reed for four years, who just got into the Hall of Fame. And everybody asked, well, what did you do? I said, I stayed the hell out of his way. You know, that's what I did. <laughs> right. The guy was a Hall of Fame player, you know, all pro player and defensive player of the year. What was I going to tell him? You know, I w- we would have conversations and work w- and we worked well together. My thrive was the fifth round draft pick guy who ended up starting his rookie year for us. That was my, you know, that was my, I felt the most gratification for because here's a kid that no one thought. We thought well with the drafting, but no one thought he was going to end up starting, and he ended up starting from playing for like three or four years, and that was myself. Yeah, that made me feel good because I know the time we spent together getting him ready to go, you know, play at the highest level for an NFL team where the players trusted him to be out there with them. Now, you know, you you used a phrase that I want to go back to because I think it's so critical. That's where I felt the gratification, and we we if people would just pay attention to uh, what are they doing when they feel most satisfied, most helpful, most alive, and look for opportunities to do more of that instead of ignoring it as, you know, as just a, you know, that, that's a feeling. You know, I, I, I don't operate in feelings, I operate in facts, and I know that I need to get up to the next level and be a head coach. You know, you, if you pay attention, our heads, our bodies, our minds, the world tells us where we're most useful and mm-hmm. where we're meant to be. And if we would just follow that, identify it and follow it, I think we'd have a lot less people who are miserable at work. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's, uh, you know, what I've taken away from coaching as well, you know, from playing, I learned it kind of when I went to Detroit, you know, we, we go back to, Hey, what was that turning point and how did it teach me? I wanted to make sure I was enjoying what I was doing playing at that time. I wanted to enjoy 
playing because I lost that in the in the in the mindset of getting involved in being a being getting in the limelight for being a pro athlete. I lost the fact of enjoyment of playing. So when I went to Detroit, I wanted to make sure I enjoyed the game, and and I did. And the same thing with coaching and everything. I, I got into it. The pay was great. You know, the hours sucked, but that's just part of coaching. But I, you know, I. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as enjoying it as much as I thought I was before because certain things came into play. And I was like, I wanted to make sure whatever I do next, uh, and I remember, you know, talking with Jeff, I want to enjoy the process. I want to enjoy that goes with it, even the tough time or, you know, long hours. I want to make sure I'm enjoying it because if I'm enjoying it, then I'm getting more out of it. So coaching just came to a natural end of the road for you. You weren't enjoying it anymore, and you had the courage, and it does take a lot of courage, to say, yeah, I could keep doing this, but there's something telling me that there's something more out there for me in this next part of my journey. Well, yeah, coaching, you know, one, the opportunities weren't coming like they, uh, like I expected them to come. And then two family wise, it was, I can tell from talking, being around my wife, I could see it was wearing on her yeah. of coaching of, of the what ifs, not knowing what's going to happen next year, what's going to happen next year. And, you know, I had some sniffs at coaching opportunities, but nothing really materialized. I just did think that that, that well was drying out and I had to accept that the opportunities there weren't not going to happen. And I had to move on from that, which is tough as it is, is an ego trip like anything else. But there, you know, there, it, it just wasn't materialized. People I thought I was close to and tight with and, and trusted and thought they had my back come to realize they didn't have my back and they weren't <laughs> as tight as I was. And it was a, it was an ego, again, another yeah. ego shock yeah. of reality that people I felt, I thought, you know, I'll get a job, no problem. It didn't happen. Yeah, and again, it was another reality check. All right, you got to take control of your take control of your life. Find out what you like to do. Find a passion, and and let's go find out what we can do for. It. And I had no clue. And until I I forgot how I ended up getting with Jeff. But thank God, and your people, thank God I did because I had no clue what to do. Yeah, but but you know, you you had what is really about sixty percent of the journey, and that's the desire and the belief that there is something. Uh, more for you that's a more fit for where you are in your life right now and a belief that you could go out and get it because you had done it in the past. It's just taking it and pivoting to, you know, to a different direction. And so many people, they just don't have the courage to go or the the self-confidence or whatever it is to believe that that's out there for them. You played in college, you played pro, you coached, and you were a broadcaster. So you really did everything that a lot of these young athletes believe is going to be their God-given career path. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and all's going to be well with the world. So as you look back over that journey from throughout your affiliation with football, what was your darkest day or darkest moment as you look back? Ooh. It was my gosh, it's, I have to think about that. My darkest you know, I guess, you know, when I was done when I got released when uh, Marvin Lewis the Head coach of the Bengals at that time came into my house. and I kind of knew it, but before the season started, something was going to go down. But I, you know, until it happens, it didn't. When he when he came into my office and then told me that you know we're, we're going to go a different route in coaching, it that was that was a tough time then because I kind of knew it going into the year, but I you know anything's possible to, to change that and. And then when he came to my office and where he couldn't even look me in the eye and couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, had a 
just yeah, I can tell you, I mean, like he's got gut punched or something. I knew what was going to go on. And even though I kind of saw it coming, it still was, it was a tough. And then going home and, and telling my, telling my wife what had happened. It's just, you just couldn't understand it. It just couldn't be. And then people saying, Oh, don't worry. You're a good coach. You'll, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get an opportunity. And, to go back in and nothing was was happening. It was, you know, it's a reality where you got to realize, hey, man, I thought, I, you know, I thought I was a good coach. I, you question your own. Yeah, right. Ability. People ask, you know, what's, you're, you're asking yourself, what's wrong with me? What's the right. thing I do? What did oh. I, why, why, why are people not returning my calls? Why people I thought were my good friends who I you know, broke bread with and won games with and, and, and went through tough times with, uh, it was a, uh, it was a, you know, I'm looking, checking myself personally to try to figure out what did I, why, why am I, you know, I'm asking people, am I a bad guy? Or am I an asshole? But I didn't, it, it was, uh, yeah. it was, it was, it was because I had no explanation. I had no answer and uh, it took some time, but then the flip side of reality is, Hey, you, you got to go to work. You got to, yeah. you know, I got two kids and, you know, a kid in college, one get ready to go to college and, you know, you still got bills to pay. You, you got to, yeah, you gain time to to lick your wounds and and wall up here. You, you let's go, let's get going. Try to, you know, try to figure this out. Yeah, and you know, although a lifetime of watching soap operas is quite enticing, I it can was. see. I was, I was into it. I had it. <laughs> I had, you... <laughs> so I had General Hospital down oh. to. A- yes. Of what was going on? What? Yeah. What were they going to do without you as their most loyal fan? Yes. 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 Right. So now here you are at this. How many students are at Loyola Academy? Uh, to, uh, I think to about 2,000. Okay. And you've got this population of kids that, you know, whether they want it or not, are going to have the benefit of your wisdom. What do you hope? You know, you work mostly with the student athletes, uh, but you interact, I'm sure, with a lot yeah. of kids yeah. um, throughout the organization. And it just must feel like, being a kid in a candy store for a guy like you. Uh, it was the, 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 the first, you know, the first couple of months it was, uh, you know, it was, I was excited for one cause I had a job, but and in, I'm in Chicago where my wife's from, her family's here moving back to a place that was pretty good to me. My son was born here. I would get to be around, you know, student athletes it, that, that was, you know, that was the excitement of it. Then getting in there, and figured out like, all right, what do I do now? Okay, I'm here. What do I, you know, the people I work with are outstanding. Mm, uh, nice. There's a lady boss, uh, Genevieve Atwood, who's our head AD. She's great. Jeremy Shoniker who's like, like the second in charge. I mean, you know, I came in, they're like, well, we're putting you with this guy here. There's ex-football player. And there's all the stereotypes. No question. Got to fight those sometime. They were willing to work with me, take their time with me. Give me things, put me in situations, succeed, and not, you know, not just throw me out there. And I figured out they they really, really, really work with me. And then they, what they saw was someone who was willing to do all the dirty, you know, all the different things to, to make sure to help the groom the group be successful. Spending time, staying late, going to different functions, asking questions, being part, and you know, within a. You know, I've been there just a little over a year and, you know, not only I'm, you know, I'm part of the athletic part, I mean, I sit on two committees. I'm, I'm, we're doing, I'm on a big committee now helping with deal with the racial issues going forward with the school and how we can be better. So, so my role in that, not just athletic directors growing, I'm learning to be 
a better athletic director, but I'm also learning to be a better administrator for the school. Fantastic. I love that. Like you said, you come in, you're a former football player, but you have some real great professional cred post playing, you know, some administrative and coaching. And so you bring this really great skill set. I was looking at the demographics of Loyal Academy, and I saw it was um, no more than 6% African-American. Is it that many? Okay. Yeah, I think it was 5.5%. I didn't know it was that many. That's what the website said. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've been there a year, and things have certainly changed over the last couple months with the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter effort becoming much more prevalent with many more discussions about race, comfortable or uncomfortable. And so now, a few months ago, you were in this very high profile position, very um, ability to impact kids at a broader level. And now with the conversations that people are having, and thank God they are, I mean, I'm so glad we're in this place. How do you, how do you, do you feel a different level of responsibility and ability to impact these kids being an African-American? Well, I, yeah, I, you know, when I first got there and, and, and started acclimating, I was just trying to just help the athletic department run as smooth as possible. Then I got to, then I started helping mentoring. I still helped a little bit with the football team and, and uh, different kids. I started, you know, getting comfortable with the, being around the campus, just walking around the school and talking, coming up and talking to kids, having kids come talk to me in my office and getting my input on the, on the athletic program. Well, within that year's time, going on my second year, now I'm being asked to have an imprint on help with race relations in the school going forward, coming up with ideas we can do. And, and just with the staff, we haven't got to the student part yet. Just right. with these, yeah. the staff and the faculty uh, being asked about how we can, what can we do? Give me your input. Will you be part of this? Will you willing to speak to people about this? on what we can do, things we can do, and how we can work to get better, what can happen. So in that year's time, I went from just, you know, being in the background and which was fine with me and helping uh, the athletic department and student athletes to being pushed into the forefront of, hey, help our school grow, make sure our race relations are solid. How do you feel about that? Great. I love it. Okay, good. It is kind of nerve wracking because you kind of said it, you know, some of these things, I, I, you know, you've been around me a little bit, and Jeff can speak a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm an easygoing guy. I'm, I'm, I'm rarely, hey, I don't need to be in the spotlight. I can, I don't mind being behind the scenes and saying what I need to get done and and moving on. And be, hey, I'm one of those guys. Seen and not heard is fine with me, as long as everything's <laughs> yeah. getting, done, getting done well. But in when dealing with race, and you know, my wife is white. I'm, you know, I'm black. My kids are mixed, so I have a history about all that because we deal with our lives every day both kids uh but you kind of said it all right you, you we, we want to move this move this forward we it's not only we got to get uncomfortable we got to be willing to deal with being uncomfortable and how to work through it because don't sit there and say you want to do things and then you got to hear what you, you know you don't hear some things that you might not like but that's how you know we're, you want to hear from that's been talked about forever that you've got to now say, wow, I didn't realize this was going on. It's, well, it's been going on for a long time. So don't, don't be surprised. I understand being surprised, but don't push it under the, right. under the rug either. Right. This is what this perception. This is the reality of how things are looked at. So let's, let's be ready to listen to this and talk about it and say, okay, what can we do to make it better? Not just listen and not do anything. You've got to be able to, you, you've got to put yourself 
in a position where you, you might never thought of putting yourself in that spot. Well, if we're going to move this forward, I mean, someone said it, it, it you know, it's not just black people, it's, it's people of non-color who's got to make, help move this, move this goalpost, move it forward so we can make changes. Being a professional football player might have been your most high profile and glamorous job, but um, at the end of your life, I think you'll look back and this will have been your most important and impactful job. Yeah, because uh, I get a chance, like I said, to to help kids better themselves. Yes, get a sense of reality of, and and I, you know, when I have kids come in my office and talk, there's certain kids I, I mentor a little bit more, and just I started with athletes, still with athletes, because that's a big part of my job. But I, when I tell them that come in, hey, when you come in my office, we're not talking, we're not going to talk sports. That's easy. Yeah. So don't don't I, I I make the especially male athletes. I make them when they come in, I, you know, I, I initially make them come in, but then by, you know, after a few months last year, they were voluntarily coming in on different times on their own. Just to, just say, hello, hey, Mr. Carey, hi, Coach Carey, how you doing? Because I, I want them to understand sports is, is it's a luxury. It's not a reality. Yeah. So when you come into my office, we're going to talk life and we're going to use that to better ourselves around campus. And they, they fight it initially, but then they get comfortable with it and they feel good about it. And then when they, they want to come back. Not only are you talking the talk, you've walked it um, because from a very early age, you knew that sports was only going to be one part of your life. And if you can impart that holistic living and you're not just an athlete, um, even planting those seeds with the kids that might even go on and have a professional career, they'll come back to that when they have those tough days like you did, and they will, Yeah, where they're only being valued or only being seen because of their athletic ability, their ability on a field. And they'll remember what you told them about the importance of building out a full and complete life. And um, so the ripple effect of the work you do, I think, um, can't, you know, can't be overstated. And to me, that's a, that's a career well-lived. Yeah, like my own kids, they used to, Kids, friends, they say, I Googled your dad. I didn't realize this and realize that, which is, that's that's easy. But, you know, I've been cut, fired, uh, didn't know uh, where my next job was, you know, what, what's the future hold. Uh, I grew up in, you know, Long Beach, California. It's not, you know, it's not like that's, a, you know, considered an inner city. I, well, it's not a city, but it's not a suburb either. Uh, so, you know, I only tell my story just to tell kids, hey, here's where I come from. Yeah. To get them to understand, hey, you know, what you see now is, is a finished product of where I came from. And it doesn't mean you have to be that way. You know, I always have to tell people I'm friends with Snoop Dogg. Whoa. And like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I show him pictures. I text him pictures. Me and my wife, Andrew, we are you on know, the times when he was in Cincinnati. We went to his concert a couple of times, got backstage, took pictures. And I have to show kids and I have to show people pictures so they'd be like, yeah, right, right. And they're like, oh, yeah, you do know him. Okay. But that's, I have to do that to, to, to try and gain a little street cred with some of these kids to say, hey, I, I know where you're coming from. Right, I'm, right. I, I've, I've been there. Don't let the, the golf shirts and the, you know, the uh, slacks and the, the way I speak or something, you know, make it seem like I don't understand where you're coming from. Where I'm coming from doesn't mean I have to act like that to, to, to know where how to act it, it just that's just where that's my foundation i don't forget it but i don't have to act like that either to, to try to get where i want to go fantastic so are you ready for my most favorite part of every podcast two questions one deep and one shallow okay 
What is, you've learned as a parent, what is the most surefire way to embarrass your children? Ooh, what is the most, gosh, it seems like anything I do, I can embarrass them. <laughs> when oh. like, uh, you know, certain rap songs come on or from artists, I start singing and my kids are always looking like, like, yeah, dad, no, no, yeah, no, yeah. stop. I'm like, hey, I'm, like I said, I'm part of these guys. We right, grow. right. Oh, no, you're just, yeah, you're just our embarrassing dad. <laughs> you know, showing, acting out like where I came from as, you know, like I'm real cool. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, they kind of embarrass them a little bit. My, my theory is that if your kids, especially when they're teenagers, think you're cool, you're probably doing something wrong. Right. You exactly. Well, right. yeah, they don't think they definitely don't think I'm cool. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you uh, are. We'll just keep it between you and me. You, well, I have to show them pictures to show them I have street street cred. <laughs> I used know. to be cool. Promise. Yeah. I, I used oh, to be geez. cool. Yes. Just because I play golf and drink Pellegrino doesn't mean I wasn't cool at one <laughs> That's point. Right. That's right. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, so here's my last question, and it's a yeah. it's a what breaks your heart? Oh, what breaks my heart? Gosh. Well, my wife, she breaks my heart all the time when she, you know. When she turned off General Hospital and said, get your ass off the couch. When I I try to go hug her and kiss her, she makes these faces and runs away from Oh, I doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Seeing kids struggle, I think that would, that's always heartbreaking. Seeing a kid uh, struggle for something they can't accomplish, something they want, that's always tough to see. Yeah. Yes. My kids, my own kids, more importantly. Seeing they want something and not get it, you know. My son, who played football at Butler, uh, you know, his, 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 his career was marred by injuries, and that was tough to watch, uh, seeing that every year he had a chance to do, you know, make way in football and, and a freak injury here, torn ACL here, a hamstring. I mean, something always, you know, was slowing him when he was trying to make way. That was, you know, seeing your kids trying to accomplish, you want to accomplish something, and then they're getting derailed by no fault of their own. It's it's always tough to see, you know, my daughter first two years had, had injuries uh, in soccer and, and, you know, her junior year, she hardly played and that was tough to watch, but she was one of the best teammates and her coach loved her because who she was, you know, things like that. At Loyola, our basketball team this year had a chance to go to state and, you know, right before they're playing a game to go down to be the, into the final four of their state championship, everything gets shut down. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was tough to see and, yeah. and hear and deal with, you know, because there's now granted, everybody's going through the same thing, but still it doesn't make it any less painful. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mark. You have a fantastic story. I have a feeling it's not over. Um, there might be a role as a leading man on a soap opera in your future. Yeah, yeah. I didn't um, hear that. I can't be a leading man on a soap opera. Yes. Maybe a kind of an AARP can sponsor it. It'll be one for older people. Yeah, up of a diva. Uh, but I will definitely tune in for one. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your sharing your journey. And um, it's an important one. And I think whether our listeners are in sports, know anything about sports or could spell sports, I think there's a lot of lessons embedded in it um, for all of us. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed meeting the evolved careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. 
Until next time, here's to your career happiness.